You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning. There we go. We're going to get the house lights up here, and I wanted to show you guys that video because it, it does kind of you know, encapsulate this theme of what we're going for in this series that we're calling The Exiled. So what we're doing is we're looking at a group of books in the Old Testament that were written uh, to God's people before they were going into exile, while they were in exile, or after they had just come out of exile. Uh, we're kicking off the series last week with the book of Daniel, and we're going to do a couple of messages in the book of Daniel. But then, uh, after that, we're going to start hitting the minor prophets, is what they're called, uh, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, we have a reading plan available uh, if you would like to know what book we're going to cover each Sunday so that before you come to church, you can read that particular book ahead of time. And I would encourage you guys to do that because a number, the majority of these messages, we're just going to do one sermon per book. And so we're not going to be able to get through all the details that are in that book. So uh, if you're not reading through the Minor Prophets ahead of time, it may not make a whole lot of sense uh, what we're talking about. So these are right beside the hand sanitizer on the way out the door. Uh, feel free to grab one uh, and then uh, read along on, uh, on Sundays uh, before you come. So uh, Daniel uh, is a book about a guy named Daniel. Uh, he's a young man who's taken into uh, captivity in Babylon along with uh, most of the Jewish nation. And you guys saw in that video that God had covenanted with this group of people. Uh, and the covenant was them... St- the stipulations were them obeying his word and being his people. Well, they choose not to obey his word. They choose to live like the rest of the nations around them. And so they face covenantal disobedience, which has a consequence to it. God told them at the very beginning when he covenanted with them that there would be a consequence for disobeying the covenant. And so they are enter into captivity. Well, lucky for them, God knew this was going to happen. So he had sent them these prophets. And the prophets were to tell them that if they didn't repent, this was going to happen. But they were also to tell them that while you're in captivity, I want you to know that God is still there with you. And so they had this this whole plan that God had brought about that that video kind of covered. Well, the Jews from the southern kingdom, which Daniel's a part of, they're taken into captivity in these three separate waves of deportations. So arriving in Babylon, they would have faced... Uh, Their experience would have been kind of a lower middle class life with lower middle class freedoms and jobs. Now that's contrary to what we would many times imagine because we would think about the Jewish people being in slavery in Egypt and we would kind of place that on Babylon, but that wasn't what happened to them in Babylon. It was because the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted to rid them of all of their loyalties to their previous nation. And the best way to do that is to assimilate them into the culture of Babylon instead of persecuting them. So he believed the more that he could involve them in the different levels of society and the different levels of government, the more they would be swayed by the security and the comfort and the wealth and the prosperity of this empire that he has created. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, I think we can relate to that today. 
Because although we are not in exile because of covenantal disobedience, we do experience a form of exile. Because like that video ended and said, this is not our eternal home. And there's a danger that can happen that we can kind of be uh, lulled to sleep. And we just begin to live life just like everyone else in the culture that we're surrounded by. Uh, Rick McKinley has this great book called Faith for This Moment. I would encourage you guys to pick it up if you haven't read it. Uh, It came out about a year ago. And in this book, he says, In America, we live with relative religious freedoms. And this has caused us to be lulled to sleep. The cultural normal around sex, money, and power has been practically adopted by many believers in their day-to-day lives. The power structures of many churches resemble the power structures of the American business. And think about that. I think the pursuit of financial wealth and stability is the driving force of many of our lives, just like it was in Babylon. What Nebuchadnezzar sought to accomplish with the Jewish people, I think is being accomplished today with many of Jesus' followers. Are our lives any different than the culture around us? So we wanted to enter into this, this series addressing that issue. What does it mean to be the people of God today, still living in a form of exile, and how can we, by looking back at God's people in the Old Testament, learn the way that we are to live also in exile. So that's the goal of this series. So we're going to continue today in Daniel chapter 3. And I'm going to unpack a bit of the story for you guys, and then we're going to look at some of the story together. But if you have a Bible, feel free to open up to Daniel chapter 3. Okay, so last week, uh, Chris kicked off the book of Daniel. Uh, he talked about Daniel and his three friends being brought into captivity and then uh, raising up to positions of authority. And then King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream uh, that uh, he wanted interpreted, uh, but he wouldn't tell anyone what the dream was. And he said, if you don't interpret it, I'm going to kill you. Uh, and so uh, nobody will interpret this dream for him. None of his astrologers, none of his magicians. But there's one guy named Daniel who believes that God can give him the power to do it. And so Daniel interprets the king's dream. And what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed was of this giant statue, right? And it was a statue that had uh, a head of gold, uh, and then it had uh, uh, arms and legs of silver. It had legs, uh, arms and a torso of silver. It had legs of bronze. It had feet of iron and clay. And then in the, in the dream, this big rock rolls down, it destroys the statue, and then the rock becomes this big mountain. Okay? So Daniel interprets a dream, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, um, that's the future of what you're going to see is uh, the, the different parts of the body of these different dynasties. The, uh, you're, the, you're the head, the uh, Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire is going to be the torso and the arms, the, uh, the Grecian Empire is going to be the legs, and then lastly the Roman Empire is going to be the feet. Uh, and this other empire, this kingdom that will have no end, is going to come and destroy all of them. Okay? Daniel interprets a dream. Uh, God has favor on him. And once again, Daniel and his friends are kind of promoted higher into this Babylonian society. Well, the irony of the next story in the book of Daniel is Nebuchadnezzar goes out and builds a giant statue made of gold. Right? I mean, you're trying to wonder, like, what, what was Nebuchadnezzar thinking here? Did he hear a statue with a golden head? Why would you do that when you could make the whole thing out of gold? And so he goes and he builds this statue, and it's not necessarily a statue of himself, but it is a statue that's meant to represent the grandeur of the Babylonian empire, the grandeur of his government. 
What's interesting that the location of the statue is uh, in the same place that the Tower of Babel had been built. Okay? So there's these themes throughout the Bible, and the video alluded to this, and we like to use the theme of creation, fall, redemption, restoration when you read the Bible, because it's a recurring theme where God will bless a group of people. He will bless his creation. Uh, The creation, instead of acknowledging God, will choose to then start worshiping themselves. They'll build monuments to themselves, whether it's um, the Tower of Babel or whether it's what... uh, Egypt, uh, the princes did it, or the uh, pharaohs did in Egypt, or it's what the Jewish people do when they create the golden calf in the wilderness. But once again, here's another king uh, creating a monument unto himself. God will come in and he will humble them to restore them or to redeem them, uh, and then he will rescue them at some point. So it's this repeated framework. We see it all throughout the Bible, and you see it in Daniel several times, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, he builds this giant statue out of gold. Uh, Then he invites all of the leaders of his empire, all the government officials. There's a long list in Daniel 3 of very important people uh, from all over his empire to come to this place, and he hires a band, and he tells them, when the music plays, we're all going to fall down and we're going to worship my empire that I've created. As a motivation... He has a giant furnace built next to the statue. And he has the furnace roaring as a, as a reminder to everyone, if you choose not to bow down, you get to go in the furnace. So here's your two choices. Bow down to the idol or go into the furnace. Okay? So the band plays, everybody bows down, except for Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, some other government leaders see him who are really jealous of them. This is another theme throughout the book of Daniel is is, uh, the Babylonians being jealous of God's people as they get positions of authority. Well, they see them not bow down. They go to the king, tell them what happens, and the king becomes enraged that that they did not bow down to to this idol. And he hasn't brought before him, but he gives them one more chance, which is real interesting. And so imagine this scene. You've got the giant statue made of gold. Uh, All of the leaders of the empire are there. The furnace is roaring, and these three friends are brought before the king. And the king says, I want you to bow down right now, and everybody's going to see it, or you're going to die. And there's this great line in Daniel chapter three, 3 where the king says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, let's see who that God is. Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Dang. Right? I mean, you can't read that and say, that was bold. To do that in front of all of those people, in front of the king with the fiery furnace right there? I don't know about you guys, but when, I, when it comes to like top 10 ways not to die, being burned alive is pretty high on that list for me, right? But these guys have this amazing faith in, in their God. 
And I think it's hard for us to relate to this because we just don't have to make these same type of choices these days. We're very blessed in one way in the country that we live and the religious freedoms that we have. But we can step back and just think about there are Christians all over the world this very moment who are having to make that exact same choice or a choice very much like it. Believers who are suffering for the cause of Christ. They experience imprisonment for sharing their faith like the Hmong pastors in Vietnam have experienced. They may be driven from their land after being saved, as some Christians in Laos have experienced. In Cuba and Pakistan, becoming a Christian sometimes means losing your job. In Nepal, villagers would not allow family or new believers to access the village water tap. In India, many converts are physically beaten by mobs who demand them to return to Hinduism. And when the police come, the police just blame them for coercing people to convert. This is very real. And it may change here in the U.S. at some time. I truly believe that the culture around us is changing. And at some point, our government may try to attempt to force Christians to do something that they do not want to do. And in that moment, you're going to have to decide, what will you do? But until that moment comes, more likely what most of us are going to have to risk is our reputation. See, just like these friends, many of you guys find yourselves in a place where you do have some authority in your jobs. God has brought you to that place and He's surrounded you with other people and then He's bringing circumstances into your life just like He did with these men to see how you would respond. See, we can relate to this a little bit. For those of you who teach in the public school system, I know a number of you do, uh, you have to make some choices that are difficult because uh, uh, you're being taught what you have to believe or you're being taught what you have to teach at least. And maybe some of the things that you're teaching you don't actually believe. That's very likely. Uh, Maybe some of you that work in the private sector, you're being pressured to do some things that morally don't line up with God's Word. Fudge those numbers a little bit. Make sure you reach those sales goals. I don't want to lose my job. And so there's a pressure that's placed upon you. Maybe if you're a student here in the room, for those of you who are in school, a lot of the pressure you face is centered around what you will do in order to be accepted by your peers. So when we find ourselves in these circumstances, maybe it will come to the point where the the choice is, do I choose to um, do what the government's telling me to do or do I not? Uh, Maybe it's in your place of work. Maybe it's in your school. When you come to these places, you have to make these decisions. What do you do? How do you know the right thing to do? It's not always easy. A general principle that I've found that's been just helpful for me in making these decisions is what I call the three R's. If you want to write these down, feel free. They are reject, receive, and redeem. This is just a a general principle that I think has been helpful when thinking through making decisions. Some things just need to be rejected. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to make a decision to bow down and worship another god or lose their lives. As God's people, they had been taught to recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6. They have been taught to daily recite that. Even in exile, they remembered who their God was. And it was more than them being able just to recite those words. You can tell by their actions that 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 principle is the center of their lives. The love of Yahweh was more important to these guys than fame, from position, and even from security. Loving God with all of their heart meant being literally willing to give up their heart for God. Paul encourages the church to do the same thing in Acts 20.24. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. When you are commanded to do something that directly violates the word of God, you should not do it. And in so doing, you should trust that God is going to provide you the grace that you need in that moment. If it costs you your fame, your reputation, your job, your friends, your house, your money, we shall love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Okay? So we should reject some things. Now there are also things that we can receive, right? We can receive these things because obviously it's something that God teaches in His Word that lines up with His kingdom. But living in the dominant, living as exiles in a dominant culture means there's just a lot of things, a lot of uh, cultural values that we're under that actually line up with God and with His heart. And so we can receive those things as God's common grace to all of His creation. Now, this is not always easy to know exactly what to receive and what not to receive, and it, and it takes a certain amount of, of discernment to do it. Um, I was kind of processing this through with, the, with the, uh, the growing homeless challenge we have here in our city. Uh, and I know it affects all of us in different ways, uh, and I know all of us have different opinions on how it should be handled. And so it's not one of those that's really clear, receive, reject, redeem. I don't think it's incredibly clear. But I think there's aspects of it that we can really get behind and receive. Uh, I was able to experience one this past week uh, when I was able to tour the old-slash-new Wapato Jail. Uh, do you guys know that there is a jail out here in North Portland that was built to house almost 1,000 people? Um, most people don't even know it exists, and it's because it was never opened. So it was built 16 years ago, and then the county did not have the funding to run the, the jail. Uh, and so it's been sitting there vacant for 16 years. It's beautiful property. I was able to tour it this week with a group of pastors because a, uh, a, a nonprofit organization called Helping Hands is going to be converting it into uh, a program for the homeless here in our community. And it is by far what I've seen as the greatest solution to actually helping. Now, I know some people don't like that it's in an old jail. You have to see it, and you guys will get a, a chance. They're about to get their building occupancy. It's going to be open to the public. I would encourage all of you guys to go because it is an amazing facility. It's not, there's not a bunch of prison cells. It just has these giant blocks that just have a whole bunch of beds in them, a whole bunch of rooms. It has a hospital. It's going to have a place for a college degree program. Dell's putting in a computer uh, center in, inside the building. It's going to have a kennel. 
It's going to have separate wings for men and for women and for families. It's going to have every social service you can imagine because it has a five-story office building attached to it that's brand new. It has a 40-foot stainless steel dishwasher, right? I mean, this thing was made to serve a thousand people every single day. And it's been sitting there. A place that was created to accomplish justice is being used to now accomplish mercy. And the cool thing is, a Christian is running the whole thing. A Christian teamed up with a billionaire, teamed up with the city of Portland. Praise God. That's the type of stuff he does. But if if you just reject everything that's out there and say, oh, we just need to, I can't stand these people sleeping on my sidewalk. We have to see the opportunities that are there, see what we can receive, see what we can join with. And that's something I'm excited about us talking about because I think it's a great solution and it's someone that's really trying to help. So there's things that we can receive. Uh, The last R is redeem. And this is the one that I think, I don't think we we give enough attention to. I think think Christians in in the U.S. are bad about just receiving things that are only very clearly lines up with our Christian values and then just rejecting everything else. Well, there's this R called redeem. And what you do when you redeem something is you look at it and say, that's not ideal. You know, I could see the challenge with that. I could see that that, that's, you know, that doesn't line up with everything that I believe, everything that God has taught. But I believe that by redeeming it, I can go into it as God's people. And from the inside of something, I can begin to make a difference and God can work through me. That's basically what these guys are kind of doing here in this story. I mean, you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, those weren't their original names, right? They were given these pagan names of pagan gods. And you would think out of everything that these guys could have rejected, it would have been being named after a pagan god, right? But they didn't put up that fight. They receive that, and then they're able to enter into a culture, and then they're able to influence that culture from the inside. That's what it means to redeem something. Chris mentioned the story last week of the, the baker here in Oregon who's known for not making a cake uh, for a homosexual couple. And then the lawsuit that entailed uh, and, and all that legal battle. Um, and I was thinking about that again this week. And I was thinking about that, that particular situation. Um, what he chose to do was reject something. And he had his own convictions. I don't share his convictions, but... I'm not going to say his convictions are wrong. But he rejected something. Um, the other choice he could have made, he could have received it. He could have just baked the cake, and he could have said, bless your marriage, just like you did everybody else's, and he couldn't have said anything else. Or he could have redeemed it. He could have entered in and say, you know what, I'm baking a cake, and I don't agree with the values of the people that I'm baking it for, but I believe that by baking them a cake, I will have a relationship with them. And having a relationship with them, I will then be able to influence the culture in which they're in. I think we need to see way more redeeming in our culture. And I think that's what these guys model here. Think about it when it comes to just the the hot topic of sexuality in our culture. You can receive people, you can reject them, or you can redeem by entering into a relationship with people who are made in the image of God, loving them and walking with them in order to see the power of the gospel at work in their lives. You can receive the immigrant. You can reject the immigrant. 
or you can enter into the mess of redeeming this horrible situation that we have all created and we've all been a part of creating. You can receive our houseless neighbors. You can reject our houseless neighbors. Or you can redeem their situations by entering into their situations with them. So in our story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had entered into a situation. They, they, they modeled, you know, trying to redeem something. But then the choice had to be made. It came to a point and they had to stand on something. And they chose to reject. They trusted God to provide for them. Well, we'll continue in our story here. If you're familiar with the story, Nebuchadnezzar, he's just in a rage with what they said. And he ties to them. He has some strong men come and bind him. He has the furnace heated seven times hotter. And then he goes and he, he throws in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the guards die with them. I mean, the furnace is so hot. But look at verse 26 in your Bible. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. And he declared, Shadrach? Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors had gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted the three men (laughs) in the province of Babylon. It's pretty amazing to think about uh, what happens here in this story, that these guys were able to survive in in a fiery furnace, but they were in a long line of people who had survived because of the power of God. Christy uh, talked about a number of those in, in her prayer. It's the, the story of God promising to do something to his people and him fulfilling his promises. And what's so cool about this story is you see some type of manifestation of God there with the men. Uh, we don't know if it's an angel, like what Nebuchadnezzar says. We don't know if it's, a, it's called a Christophany, which is an image of the pre-exalted, uh, pre-incarnated Christ. You see those at times throughout the, the Bible. But what we do know, it's a demonstration of God being with his people. Because he had told them, you're going to get put in these circumstances. I'm allowing you into exile. And when you go into these circumstances, I want you to know that I am there with you. Look at Isaiah 43.2. We'll put it up here on the screen. Isaiah is another prophet sent to the nation of Israel to, to uh, let them know about this punishment that's coming. And look what he prophesies. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. Whatever we find ourselves in, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, this same promise applies to us today. Do you remember what Jesus said at the very end of the Great Commission after he told them to go out into all the world? He said, wherever you go, I'm going to be there with you. And we continue to see that today if we will only trust. 
if we will only be willing to step out and not have to be in control of the situation and trust that God is going to come in and rescue. As a point of application, I think right now the way that we respond to the coronavirus is a great way to demonstrate that we are an exile people and this is not our home. There's so much fear that's surrounding this virus. And I don't, wanna, I don't want to uh, be lackadaisical in the way that I approach it. I understand that it affects a certain amount of the population, especially those who are elderly and have immune deficient systems. And I think we should be wary of that. And we should be cautious of that, okay? But for the majority of us, uh, it means getting a cold and there not being a vaccine for it. Okay? That's from what I can understand. So then we have an opportunity to respond now as God's people and say, you know what? There is something that's outside of our control and we can be okay with that. We don't have to be fearful when so many other people are being fearful. We don't have to freak out because this is not our home. I keep touching my face. I'm like, stop touching your face. (laughs) See, we have security. And it's not in a vaccine. And it's not in hand sanitizer. It's in a God who dethrones empires. Right? Allows kings to rise and fall. It's a God that's over disease and pestilence. It's a God who provides for His people over and over again. He sent us His Holy Spirit to be with us. How we respond in these moments of testing of our faith in exile has ramifications for all of the people that God has surrounded us with. So by the way that these three guys trusted God and God provided them, look what happens next in Daniel chapter 4. So remember, Nebuchadnezzar had asked this great question to the men. He says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And then the story ends with Nebuchadnezzar answering his own question in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all his people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Wow. Think what God could do through even a group like this who would just go back into their, into their jobs and into their schools and into their circle of relationships and boldly declare what, what a pagan king just declared. That he has an everlasting kingdom that his dominion endures from generation to generation and it continues to endure today. So we're going we're gonna to worship right now just with King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to declare the wonders of our God. We're going to come and we're going to receive communion as a reminder of our true king. Right? We're going to be reminded of why we bow down to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because he isn't a God who built a statue unto himself. He's a God who came and died so that we could be in a relationship with him. That's a king worth bowing down to. That's a king worth following. And then we get this amazing opportunity to leave this place 
and to live out just like these guys did that what we sang about earlier and blessed be your name. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's do that now together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the story that we read about here, that you recorded these so that uh, we could not just learn about these three guys, but about who you are, because you're the, you're the main character of this story. Uh, you miraculously show up and you rescue these guys. And if you can keep fire from burning a hair on their head, then you can rescue us today. You can rescue us through any situation that you may find ourselves in. So, Father, I would just ask that you would give us the ability through your Holy Spirit to not be afraid, to not have to be in control, to not need security in our jobs or in our our 401ks or in our homes or in our, our families, but we find our security in who you are, in your everlasting reign. Father, open up our eyes of our heart to see the reality of who you are. And in this moment, would you use your people in a city like Portland to declare the majesty of the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Would we give people an alternative to power and an alternative to a culture that's so self-seeking as we point others toward you? We ask that you give us the power to do this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.